Very good moment of day for everybody involved. This is the Fleek Lab episode 12. Welcome back. Time to raise up the butcher knife once again. High in the sky. So high indeed that it's uh, time to reach up for the clouds and uh, ride the white horse. We've finally reached the final Halloween episode before the new, let's call it a revitalizing of the Halloween franchise. Halloween 2018, helmed by the successful drama, comedy, thriller director David Gordon Green. Uh, it will be in theaters everywhere on October 18th and 19th, except in Poland. Holera. Well, we highly hope you will join us for the next episode in which we will not disappoint you. We will walk through uh, the entire movie. We will walk to grab some fresh coal particle air. We will walk all the way to the theater, just so that you can hear our thoughts on the movie in our rather mind-bendingly glorious podcast. When the film comes out, we are both traveling. Yeah. So we will be in improvised locations trying to do the recordings there. We can't promise our listeners that great audio or, you know, anything that's removed from the background noise or much of a sound quality. And we would be going through the movie pretty much immediately after we have seen it. Yeah, whenever that is. So, yes, in all honesty, of course, if there are any obstacles for Henrik to see the movie, if there are any obstacles for me actually seeing the movie without uh, dubbing, uh, yeah. We, yeah, you you still actually also have to take the danger of having to witness the entire movie in Spanish. Yeah, I didn't come this far <laughs> watching all the Halloween movies to get the latest one in Spanish. Just to, just to point out to our listeners the lengths we are actually trying to go through here for your listening entertainment. Indeed. After, you know, going through that journey this far and dealing with the release schedule that we have kind of have had here on this podcast. And it's been pretty hardcore, yes. <clears throat> Due to our schedules, we've been recording these episodes in a quite uh, tight package, like two episodes a week is definitely pushing it because I want to ensure the highest quality level possible, the best possible care for our listeners, as Conal Cochran says. Or would say. You are the one who has to fight with all the audios and editing. We both have to do the background check and going through these movies pretty fresh before the actual recording. And also, of course, this is a pastime project for both of us. We both have actual commitments in our lives. So for now, we do. For now, it, we we hope, of course, that the entire world will love us endlessly and we will get our Patreon going and become millionaires with your money. So there's that. Of course. So what's holding you back, dear listener? 
Yeah. I, are we not seeing you Patreon money on our bank accounts at this very moment you are listening to this? So if you want to hear a new episode every 24 hours, please become a Patreon, which we don't have yet. But if you're interested, <laughs> let me know. And remember, not supporting Patreon is practically communism. Anyway, how are you? At this point, you know, having run the whole day just to hit the recording on time for this episode, I'm actually sweating like a small pig here. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, the things you will do. I'm looking forward to the still very warm weather of Spain. I don't really like to sweat like a pig either, so I hope it will get colder, a little chillier at least, compared to what it is now. So, yeah. So, Zombie has previously not been too enthusiastic about remakes, but regardless, he came to do Halloween. He has said some actually pretty negative comments about remakes, but... uh, Whatever the motivation might be, he did Halloween, and now he's back for Halloween too. Even though he did say that no matter what, he would not return for a sequel. But here we are. He also said that the whole remake thing sort of came for him. Meaning that he was the one that suggested that they would do a remake of the original Halloween. Now... That does make sense in the universe where you're trying to do a sequel for Halloween Resurrection. So I'm not blaming the man for kind of eating his words and moving to the remake territory. So again, watching zombies films here in the Halloween franchise, I get the feeling that Halloween was a movie that at some point of Rob's life, really connected with him to a point where these movies are something that really hard to say about the remake, of course, due to the points that probably will rise up in this episode. But I, I still get the feeling that there is there's something that Zombie found in Halloween that by studying that element... He could say something about himself and the world. In a way, both of Zombies' Halloween films feel extremely personal. This sequel more than the remake for the upcoming points, but still, I I would say here in these two movies, there is more personal and more intimate touch from the director than, for example, the past sequels. Well, he is able to do a little bit of his own style here. He's not confined into the some of the rules and limitations, perhaps, of the original Halloween story, which he, of course, made his own. But here, since he's not fully following the storyline of the Halloween 2 of 1981, the original, he is doing some kind of uh, unknown territory. I give him that. But there is information floating I think I've even seen this when he was in the premiere and he was visibly not happy and he told uh, something along the lines of what a pain in the ass it was to make this movie. So I got the idea that he was definitely not happy with the end result. I can imagine that there could have been, again, kind of a background force 
driving the narration of the story slightly, even though in the first one he always told that he was kind of free to do, I believe the quote is, whatever the fuck he wants. In Halloween 2, maybe not so much, looking at what kind of uh, problems it appears to have. And there is some element in the story that it's not even very well hidden, but you can pull the, all the clues together and kind of think that what Rob Zombie might have wanted to do with this film, but he didn't quite do it. Or maybe he did, in a sort of kind of a more downplayed way, if you will. We will get to that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Actually, no. I I have to confess, because if I personally, I I have to confess to our listeners that I am not familiar with Rob Zombie's statements when it comes yep. to Halloween 2. But yeah. I kind of see Halloween 2 more as a Rob Zombie's film than the previous one. Yeah, I see more possibilities for studio interference and pressure from the producers in the Rob Zombie's remake than here on this sequel. Yeah, the first remake was successful, so it's not very clear to me why the studio would interfere so much if they did, but it's the idea that I'm getting. Or perhaps there were other kind of <clears throat> artistic issues that he faced. I, I don't know about artistic, but I can sure as shit believe that there, there has been issues when it comes to these films. Simply by looking at the list of production companies and once again seeing the Dimension films at the top of the production companies and knowing that this is still the fucking time frame when Harvey Weinstein, once again, was within the company and tied to every single project Dimension Films put out. And I sure as shit can believe that Harvey has once again been forcefully pushing himself to the editing booth. In Harvey's case, more ways than one. Right. To start off, uh, we have again these start titles, start text on the screen, as was the case with the first Halloween for Rob Zombie, where there was a quote from uh, the new Loomis. And here it is explained what the White Horse mythology stuff in this movie is supposed to be. There's, that is uh, explained with the text. And then it's uh, drilled several times again on the screen to our heads. Like, Rob Zombie is really pushing it. Like, get it? Get it? Get it? This is a metaphor, you know? And, well, let's talk about the white horse. It's absurd. What can I say? It's one of the weaker elements of this kind of a hallucinatory... You could even call it absurd. Going as far as having the horse in these hallucinations... How many horror movies have we had where there are dream sequences that lead to nowhere that are, of course, not real? And how many times has that actually worked for the audience? There is also comments that I read that in the theater there was a audible groan when the first dream ended. It never worked. I don't think it ever will. It's always cheating the audience if they don't know that it's clearly a dream. And... Something, something, Nightmare on Elm Street, something, something. <laughs> well, even there, 
let's look at like Nightmare on Elm Street part five or something like that. It's getting, as far as I remember, it gets so confusing. You don't even know what the reality is anymore, if there is such a thing. But that was always supposed to be the case with Elm Street. You were never actually supposed to know when the dream starts and when the dream ends. And I don't so- agree. The Elm Street first one works because you do know when the dream starts and when it ends pretty much. Already in Elm Street Part 2, which is pretty good, it still plays too much with that and it kind of pulls you away a bit. I, I would actually make the case that you there are several scenes in Elm Street 1 where you don't know when the dream sequence starts. You, you only pick up that the dream sequence is going on once the crazy shit starts to happen around the person, you know, having the dream. I can only remember the ending when they are in the car and <clears throat> it's not clear if it's a dream or if if Freddy is still in the reality or what what happened but then happened Elm Street part 3 and Nancy is still very much alive so I suppose it was well it could be a dream it could be reality you know it's a Freddy's world but for example the the school nightmare scene if i remember the scene correctly you never are aware of the moment when Nancy falls asleep on the glass and slips into the dream world. I remember that she was kind of putting her head down on her hand or something and then it started. But there you could still... She always put her head backwards as to fight, you know, slipping into the dream. It has been... Like I said, you know, I'm going off from memory here, not seeing the film for some time now, it kind of lays down the groundwork that at this point Nancy is really fighting to stay awake. But the moment she loses that fight is not made clear to you until there is that do you have a hall pass line dropped by Freddy. In which case, you know, Freddy kind of gives himself up and showcases to everyone that the dream is now going on. Sure, but the point is different because you our audience knows that they can expect that that things get a little weird and dreamy and dream can start whenever it starts and you will know at some point and it will affect the main character in reality as well but here it's just something that ends and you don't have to really care about it um the but b- uh, biggest problem with the first dream sequence which is the hospital one Maybe is that it drags on too long for the end pay of simply being that it was just a dream in the end. Granted, at that time, they have two different storylines overlapping. We cut to the hospital at points and at points we cut to the, to the two guys driving the meat wagon and escorting Michael Myers' corpse from location A to location B. And the movie makes it clear that what happens at the hospital, that is purely fictional. And it's purely a dream, as Laurie Strode was never attacked inside the hospital in this movie's continuation. However, later on, the movie does confirm that the corpse delivery stuff apparently did happen at least some way. So there is that, you know, 
the sequence has overlapping elements from something that did happen and something that is clearly a dream. But even with that, I kind of felt that for the end payoff being that it is just a dream at the end hurt the hospital scenes. Yeah, and there is also the visions where the young Michael Myers and the mother of Michael Myers appear with the white horse stuff. And apart from the dreams, this is the other problem because uh, it is never quite clear like how is why is Laurie sometimes able to see these people as well? Mm. And it just takes you away from the from the movie. Like we've seen this like millions of times, and there is a lot. There's millions of things that are have been repeated millions of times. It's like a cliche fest, and not very cohesive one at that. I actually quite liked the hallucinatory scenes. In what universe? I guess you are just not thinking this as a proper Halloween movie, but you're just enjoying the kind of nonsense that they are now adding. I'm taking this as a Halloween movie that was not made for you, but was made for me. Halloween 2 2009 was made for you? Yeah, pretty much, actually. I would actually rate this as one of the better sequels in the franchise. (coughs) Okay, stay tuned for my verdict. Well... We're now stitching up Laurie in the hospital. We already get to this typical Rob Zombie disgusting imagery territory. Uh, Then we have a tough cow on the road, which kind of explodes almost in the van. There's actually a fan edit where when the uh, van hits the cow, then a huge uh, mega explosion goes off. Um, Anyway, well, we know this hospital scene is a dream sequence. I'm just wondering, everything else is as in reality, except in the trash there are bodies, which is not very likely to happen. Maybe this is like a... Obviously it's some kind of a choice to tell to the audience that this is a dream, which then makes me question my previous assumption that maybe they made this to be a dream because they got into some kind of a cul-de-sac, so they didn't know where to carry on with this scene and they just call it a day and okay this is a fucking dream sequence and let's do something else but looks like maybe not or maybe they added this body scene later on to me it looks like a callback to halloween 2 which they took place entirely inside the hospital of course and which still is a continuation to the original halloween film plot wise if you want to have a callback the halloween 2 you kind of end up into a hard territory where you either have to pull something off, maybe even a little ill-advised, like making the whole thing into a dream sequence, or then you are basically end up just remaking Halloween 2. Because for a character ending up inside the hospital extremely wounded and then making her way outside of the hospital to the streets of Haddonfield would Pretty kind of a hard one to pull off. So if you want to make your film that is its own movie and not just a remake of Halloween 2, and you still want to have that hospital stuff in your movie, the concept kind of ties your hands to play the hospital part as a dream sequence. They could have just counted it as part of something that happened in the hospital and then 
a bunch of police officers come again and then they shoot him again and then it starts all over again two years later. Would that be much better? Well, again, in that case, not only would you have people cutting down Michael Myers for the third time in the same goddamn movie because the movie starts... Or something else. Doesn't Glory. have to be that way. Yeah, but there, there is the problem if you make it a real in-universe sequence is that once again, you kind of have to explain in that point how did Michael Myers disappear the second fucking time? That wouldn't be a very hard thing to explain as we've seen so many ridiculous explanations in the past. Why not give another one? Because once again, like you said, ridiculousness into the film. Too much humor into the movie. Well, there are already pretty humorous elements there when you're speaking of white horses and seeing people that are not there. And there's structural problems with this movie. It's never quite clear what it wants to do. And it's not clear when the credits roll. It has a focus on hospital, which is just meaningless, basically. Then you have Lori's side of the story. She's kind of traumatized now. Or is she Angel now? Okay. Angel, Laurie, Strode, Tate, whatever, is having psychological problems and she's being really annoying to everybody and also being this kind of a teenage party girl still. So the audience doesn't care about her. Okay. Then we have the Loomis story. We have weird moments where we follow Loomis all the way to TV show shootings. And Loomis also has been made to be as annoying as possible so that we would not be interested in rooting for him either even though in the end he realizes that he has been a complete asshole but it doesn't really help his case then we have this one friend that gets butchered in the house in the later parts of the movie then there is Annie and Annie is probably the most likable character here she's actually uttering some lines that make sense kind of trying to calm Laurie down, kind of uh, trying to keep up the family vibe together in the house. Yeah, Annie is the heroine of this movie. Yeah, obviously she is the heroine of this movie. The movie makes no case to the opposite. Well, who is it then? Like I said, and you said, it's Annie. Okay, so I agree. Yeah, the movie, in my opinion, never tries to make the claim that the hero of the story is anybody else except Annie. And, you know, maybe her father. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let me be straight with you uh, with this type of exploitation, explosion, carnage kind of film. I do not like this kind of horror at all. Uh, first off, it's not scary. Secondly, it's just disgusting. And it makes me numb and exhausted after viewing it. And is this something that you want to watch? Because after the first probably five minutes, you've already seen everything that this movie will be doing as far as the carnage goes. Yeah, but then again, making you numb and exhausted is just what this movie is trying to do. So if you got exhausted by watching this movie, you know, it succeeded in that case, in what it was trying to pull off. I mean, I have to, you know, come clean here. This was the movie for which I had most trouble of actually putting together my notes for this episode while watching the film, simply because as an experience, it is as exhausting 
And at the same time, you know, you are extremely glued on to what is going on. I was bored more than anything. And there are odd killings in the middle of the movie. In the van outside of the party, uh, these two young people are starting to <clears throat> get a little erotic, but they get killed. But there is absolutely no point for the kill. It's just there to get a kill. Maybe they're thinking, this is the moment when you kill to keep the audience interested. When actually, because it's not even built well, it does exactly the opposite. Not good. But then again, you know, not every kill needs to have a point. Mm, fair enough. It's just so random. It's in the middle. These characters have not been est established before. They, they are just cattle getting slaughtered. Yeah, and that is what goes basically for everyone in this movie's world. Oh, sure. But some more interesting cattle. <laughs> well, yeah, that may be. But, you know, it, it's the same thing at the farmhouse. If you your business is livestock, you can get more attached to one cow than the another. <laughs> In the end, both are burger meat. With a lot of ketchup. I mean, if you want to have cattle that you can get connection with in this movie, better hope that one scene where you get that small little piggy, which is actually quite pathetic character in this movie. I would even say when it comes, you know, to give the audience any kind of a uh, safe zone, any easiness going through with this experience, you better enjoy that little piggy because that's all you're gonna get. Well, I didn't mention that I was looking for easiness. I just felt that it was kind of making me numb, it made me exhausted, and it wasn't scary. It was just maybe frustrating is more the word that I'm looking for. And if that is the goal of Rob Zombie, okay, but I'm not the kind of person to be looking for that kind of um, fun. Well, let's talk about Michael anyway. Michael is making even more noises here. He's groaning, shouting, well, he's talking and shouting. In the end, he has his first line delivery ever, as an adult, anyway. Die! And then there is the fact that the half of the movie, he's not even wearing the mask. It's a very, very weird choice. Michael Which one is... is the weird choice? Having Michael yell, die, at Loomis at the Both. End of... Both are pretty weird. An artistic choice that he wanted to make. Yeah, sure. I don't like it. I then again, I, yeah. I actually he, quite like it. It's the Hillbilly Michael movie. Rob Zombie get, gets his Hillbilly dreams come true. Yeah. But then again, you know, why be so tied up with the mask? Yeah, but, I... But, I mean, it's okay. He could go around without the mask as well. I just. Uh, I mean, this... in, in, in our previous discussion, we're talking about Rob Zombie's remake. You mentioned how you are afraid of the unknown. And many people, Halloween fans, bring this up when talking about Michael Myers and why, well, why Michael Myers is so iconic, why he's so effective, yeah. why they love him so much is. Is because the mask and not giving Michael Myers the backstory makes him the unknown, and that scares them. Yep. But at the same time, is the mask unknown at this point anymore? It's the tenth movie in a franchise. It's ninth movie with Michael Myers. Every time we get the mask, we have gotten the mask to a point where we are actually already making our 
top 10 lists of the best masks and ranking the masks. And we are going through documentaries about making the masks. And we are talking about every single tiny bit of the many different masks that Michael has wear throughout the years and what we like and what we don't like about the mask, how this mask do, looks William Shatner and this mask looks like I get it. data. And it's, how it's unknown his... is it that anymore? I mean, what this movie gives us is the situation where you are walking down the street, you met some guy you never met before and would never meet again. And unbeknownst to you, the guy has problems and he ends up killing you right there on that street. I would actually make the case that is more unknown that simple person coming your way at the street and just inflicting an act of violence towards you than the mask is at this point. Yeah, I get that he's trying to do something else here. I get that this is actually not the ninth, but the tenth movie of the series. And if you have enjoyed, as we have enjoyed all of these movies, then you, of course, feel a little numb to the series, to the point where you're looking for something else. And now, as we have watched this just back to back like this, you can find something kind of refreshing about the fact that he's not wearing the mask. But Michael Myers, his face was always the mask. Not having the mask, it's different. It's a hillbilly Michael. It's not my cup of tea. Uh, it's not my cup of tea to have this kind of three meter guy playing the character. There's so many things I don't care for in this movie. That's just me. If you if you take a series that has already established something, then you just you just can't do whatever the hell you want. I mean, you're doing a remake, yes. But there are some things that I think you shouldn't touch because it's the same thing as you would do a James Bond movie without James Bond. Maybe it's a Judith Bond now and she's a lesbian and wants to actually kill CIA people just uh, for the fun of it. Kind of like a Dexter character when she's out on a mission. Okay, do it, but what? That, that is not James Bond anymore. This is not Halloween anymore for me. The character was established before. We don't need to see this. If you want to do Hillbilly Michael, then do a movie that is called Hillbilly Michael. I don't see see it as, you know, needing that level of untouchability as as you do. He can do it, of course. People do terrible movies every day. It's okay. It's just not my thing. But I I would even argue that, you know, you, you get enough things from Halloween here as you get things for James Bond throughout the years, if you follow the franchise. You're talking to the right guy. I know all the directors. I know all the main actors by name right now. I know uh, the years they were released. I know the title songs and who performed them and who recorded the soundtrack and all those kind of things. And did you know that Roger Moore, James Bond are nothing like Daniel Craig, James Bond today, except having a dude named James Bond in them? That That is true. Yeah, the fucker but doesn't even drink martinis anymore. You can also make the case that Roger Moore has nothing to do with the character of Ian Fleming, who made the James Bond character, and Daniel Craig is in some instances closer to that one, if you take that as the blueprint. Yeah, and if we follow that one, you know, we you could make the argument that none of the on-screen Bonds 
are on the same page with Ian Fleming's original. Um, yeah, none of them are super chauvinistic agents with homosexual tendencies, like in the books. And nobody goes around calling Orchop just that yellow bastard. Yeah, but it all comes down to what you like to see, as your Michael Myers, I suppose. If you want to go with this one, it's go ahead. But to kind of meet you somewhere <laughs> along this bridge where we have distance right now, at least we are seeing something that has not been seen before in the series. And in that sense, it was kind of interesting, but I'm not excited about it, really. Yeah, uh, to throw you an olive branch here, I'm not excited about it either. But then again, I think that the movie does not want us to be excited. Like, that's not where the movie is going. You you have all the previous entries in this franchise to be excited about. And this is, to me, this is a movie made by a different kind of a person for a different kind of an audience. Yeah, the Rob Cliché Master zombie. I would actually say so- that he adverts a lot of cliches here. To actually, you know, to take this back to the van kill scene that you mentioned earlier, when Michael kills those two persons at the van outside of the party. There is actually, with this movie, there is a lot of you have to look around the movie and, for example, around the kills being shown here on the film. But with the van scene, what Rob Zombie actually makes there concerning the characters he makes the uh, the dude, the male character of the two victims, to be the one who's the insecure when it comes to sex and who is shy and inverted. And actually, what Rob Zombie manages to make, he takes the age-old virgin trope of horror movies and gender swaps it. So basically, this just might be the most feminist Halloween movie we have had on this goddamn franchise. So there's a cliche. I don't know about that. But he's unable to make any kind of tension in these scenes. He has a lot of trouble with that. There is no tension like anywhere. He oh. doesn't know how to build tension. For example, like in the original. He just doesn't do it. Maybe the best example in this movie would be when Annie is ambushed inside the house when she slowly turns her head towards Michael and sees him. Uh, anything else with tension? Uh, nah. I would say there's shit a ton of tension here. Well, I was just looking at my clock and wishing for the movie to end. Yeah, but once, once again, you know, that comes to you being inside with this franchise, being a fan of Halloween franchise very deeply and caring at the franchise on the level that I can actually would make the argument that this movie had no other chance than to actually rob you the wrong way. This is like any other teenage random horror flick. This is nothing like, you know, any other teenage horror flick. Yes, it is. Uninspiring characters, uninteresting kills, no tension, a lot of butchering, pretty colors, and nice MTV-esque grainy picture, fuzzy images. This is the film that disregards its audience. And that's what your average teenage horror film precisely does not do. That is exactly what H20 did not do. It wanted its audience's approval. 
Yeah, this doesn't care. Yeah, precisely. And this is what makes it so completely different from other Halloween movies and from horror movies in general. Because this is not asking for your approval, for you to actually love it or even like it. And there is very little to like here. Yeah, that may be your take. I, on the other hand, like this extremely lot. Come on. Yeah, I'm being serious here. I mean, you you wanted you wanted when you recruited me to be a co-host on your podcast, you demanded that I give you my honest opinion. I want your honest opinion. Yeah. Don't let I, me sway you in any way. Yeah, and like, that is uh, on, my honest on, on opinion. A, I hope it is because I don't want you to get like defensive because I'm trashing this film. Not not at all. You know, just. You know, we, we can look out for the next dumpster fire. And okay. I, I, I can, you know, if, if you bring the matches, I can bring the gasoline. Suits me. I'm all bored on that one. But um, to put it plainly, when it comes to the previous film, the remake, one of the arguments that I keep on running constantly from people and Halloween fans concerning that movie, and this still being remembered here that... The remake was way more successful at the box office and was in general like a shit ton of a lot more by the critics and audiences than, you know, this sequel is. But what people keep telling me is that how the remake is an angry movie, how the previous film was nasty and, you know, hateful film. And when I look at them, when I look at the previous film and this one, I would actually say that This is the one that's angry and hateful. This is the one that has spite running through its core. The previous one was your little edgier than usual horror movie. Not the edgiest thing you ever see, but a little bit more graphical and a little bit more meaner than the average made-for-teenagers horror fest. But this is the movie that has been made by an angry person. Someone who has felt and feels real hatred. Yeah, you can definitely feel that in the hospital when he stabs the nurse like 567 times. Yeah, and you know, once again, to me, this is a movie where you should not look at the individual scenes. Like, for example, the nurse being butchered at the hospital. But instead, look at everything around those scenes. Because this is the movie that cut punches you and tells you that there is... No one to root for. Nothing. Absolutely fucking nothing good and worth living in this world. Yeah, it's abandoning the audience. No one to root for. Yeah, and that, that is the world. That is the case this movie is, in my opinion, trying to make. That we felt... As a race, we failed this world one or two times too many. And at this point, the world is finally abandoning us. Perhaps you're putting too much philosophy on this gem. And I almost would make the case that, you know, everybody else is doing the exact opposite, putting way too little philosophy into what they are seeing simply because of the matter of, well, them what being Halloween fans. The world is bad. Yeah, we know that. world is bad. Is that the message of the movie? To me, yes. That is the message of the movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it any better for me. And I would actually make the case, most people watching this really do not 
take that message. It doesn't change anything. No, but it's worth actually bringing out. Like the hatred you see here, the anger that Rob Zombie felt and is feeling if we go judging by this movie and, well, Rob Zombie's other outtakes when it comes to film. It has a right to be presented and it has a right to exist. You may not like it, but, and you may not like to see it or even acknowledge it, but it still has a right to be. By all means, make any kind of thirds that you want. It can exist. It still is a third. Yeah, maybe to you. To me, on the other hand, this is a movie that finally actually sets out to say something. Uh, for example, that the originals were much better than this one. For example, that the world is a losing game. It could go with any other title, this film. I don't care. Let's call it the three-meter Frankenstein hillbilly guy. But once again, why why get so close with Halloween, with a franchise of movies? There's nothing here. It's empty. Almost as empty as Resurrection. No, no, no. There's a lot of here. There is screaming anger in this film. We've seen it before. No, What's so we special haven't. about that? Yes, we have. No, you haven't. Give me a full movie, for fuck's sake. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Was not nearly as angry as this one. In fact, Texas Chainsaw Massacre... I mean, well, depending on which one of the films you take... I was picturing the remake. Has an anger in there, yeah. I give you that. But I would say not this level. Yeah, it, okay. It, it gives so you too, too much where you can actually find an equal ground with the movie. It gives you too much to care. We can call this movie whatever we want, or the main character whatever we want. It's still not the kind of horror that makes me feel scared or involved. But it makes you feel exhausted. Certainly, and, and, and not in a positive way. No. If there is a positive exhaustion. But I would actually say that even the negative exhaustion is something that is worth studying. It's more out of this scenes where he just goes to a strip club, kills people, goes into a van, kills people. Yeah, but there was never any meaning for him to come to the strip club. There was never any meaning to come to the van. There was never any meaning to get in the ending to the barn. Uh, there was never any meaning for the dream sequences. There was nothing but uh, face palming with the white horse. But how about you? Does life have meaning for you? Realistically, well, as a human, you have to make an excuse that there is a meaning to life in order to somehow enjoy it or see it as a kind of a as a timeline of things that you do within it. People think everything in uh, some kind of concepts, and this is no different. So yes, in that sense, you have have to have some kind of meaning in in your life to enjoy it. And I this think. movie makes the but, case but, that your but, life has no meaning. It's a but, series of events. Yes, it has a series of events. It doesn't have any real meaning. But you have to look for a bullshit meaning to keep it going. Why? Why keep lying to yourself? I mean, if you admit that your meaning is bullshit in the end, you know, <laughs> in, in that case, you are living in this world's universe. The world is shit. It's so shit that you have to actually look more shit just to fool yourself that there's a point to all this. That it's worth to actually keep going on, like you said. There is actually a point to it. If you find something 
entertaining and worthwhile to do in this world, then that is the point for you. And I would say that that's just, you know, you desperately trying to cling on to something to keep you going. No, I, I love life. It's great. It has some downsides, but for the most part, it's great. And if I would have to choose not to exist, because I don't know what that means, or exist, I will choose what I have right now. Yeah, and because of this, I would say, this movie is not made for you. This is made for the exact opposite. So it's for suicidal people making a suicide. It's for people who have kind of a lost their hope when it comes to the world, when it comes to themselves. That's that's way too poetic and w- making way too many nice, convenient breaches for this film. And I, I, on the other hand, would counter your opinion and say that precisely because you like life so much, because you like nice things, because you like Halloween as a franchise so much, you most definitely refuse to actually see it or give any merit to this movie's points. How is it very enjoyable? It's, How is it it's, different for, for, from Halloween to 1981? They give you hope in the ending. They give you, I don't know what they give here, but they give hope in the ending, sure. But otherwise, for the most part of the running time, the film is a terrible place to be. No, it's not. Halloween 2, the original, is actually, in the end, extremely hopeful movie. What you get is graphical showcases of violence, that is true. You get a couple of soft jackasses. That's true. But in the end, you know, it's a, it's a fucking cotton candy world in the original Halloween 2. You get your heroes in, in their trench coats going all of their way, going against the rules just to protect you. You get your likable characters. You get to see your heroes triumph at the end. You get people who care. You, you get actually places of care the entire fucking movie takes place on different places of care and this is the complete opposite everyone is out for themselves nobody matters the whole world is just full of horrible places horrible people and your life can end in an instant for no rhyme or reason at all but simply because life in itself is chaotic hopeless movie hopeless story hopeless cutting Hopeless rhythm, a lot of hopelessness. Exact opposite of the original Halloween 2. Exactly. And that's this the way is... how this is different. It's different, but it doesn't make it a masterpiece or anything near. To me, it does not make it a masterpiece, but it makes it a pretty damn good movie. I'm speechless. Let's continue. We see again some Loomis. Only this time he is horrible. He's egocentric, self-absorbed, narcissistic Loomis going also mental in his own book event and totally spouting dialogue that sounds like it was written by a 20 year old or younger it's probably written by rob zombie curse words uh, especially from the young people in this movie horrible language last time it was ball lickers now it's dick lickers balls suck it up ho tits fucking shirt motherfucker very original then there is Hillbilly Michael. Then there is the Jason Voorhees versus Mrs. Voorhees type of motherly love setup. We've seen it before. Then there is the Silas Weir Mitchell. He's playing the Jet, the bringer of death. Uh, he was also in Prison Break as the Haywire character. 
that was fun to see him there. Okay, Haywire is getting a signature from Dr. Loomis. Cool. Also, then there's the guy wielding the gun. And it's absurd. Maybe the most enjoyable moment of the movie for me, if any. Because he was going to shoot Loomis. Yeah, because it's just, it's just getting absurd. Okay. Totally absurd. A cliche on this franchise. Now ain't it? Loomis being cool. the asshole meriting to getting a bullet into his head. It's a ridiculous scene that the guy pulls a gun. It wasn't such a bad book. Then again, you know, Loomis is profiting for the dude's daughter's murder. I might get pretty angry at too at that point. You know, I, I haven't read Loomis's book, but the dude's what? daughter you died. You didn't do your research for this episode? Most definitely not. I was too exhausted after watching this movie. Well, I have of course read the my copy of Devil Walks Among Us by Dr. Sam Loomis. I did some digging. I read it and found it quite poetic in a cliche sense. It kind of repeats 560 times the same evil eyes dialogue, but um, very repetitive zombie writing. So what you are ma- uh, saying is that the book basically is Sam Loomis's every blind delivery in this franchise up to this point. Yeah, exactly. It's just pages that keep repeating some themselves. They have printed like on the pages the same dialogue over and over again to fill it. Okay. okay, this is a this is a fantasy. I don't have the book. Yeah, well, you know, with that take, with that style, you get eight movies in this franchise. <laughs> Based on okay. a fictional book by Dr. Sam Loomis. Based on a speech about how it was just pure evil. He was looking at the wall, beyond the wall. So we have a strip club scene, meaningless, talk show, meaningless, party, meaningless, van kills, meaningless. For me, in a way, to look for something entertaining, once again, there is the Terminator moment. Your mother has passed away. She'll be back from the book signing event. And, you know, he's completely right on that one. In his twisted mental world that doesn't exist. Except that it did exist for him and Lori. And it was enough for existed the two of them to actually get Loomis killed off. And finally get closer on the matter. Oh god, I'm so happy that we kind of retcon the whole family link. We get rid of this kind of scenes. Yeah, and in God only knows what we get in return. We don't know yet. It lo- but we do know that we get Michael Myers with body count of four people in total. <laughs> Truly yeah, a boogeyman. It's gonna be a little more. Yeah, but it's not up until that point. It's only after, you know, the upcoming movie's end credits roll, when he finally manages to actually up his ante somewhat. Wait, there is Annie, Linda, who else there is? There is the car mechanic, Bob, anything else? Nope. Yeah. Still stuck at four. Which is not a big problem, because it's still a big carnage in a small town that doesn't expect anything to happen. It's not even your average school shooting. How many serial killers go into the night and kill four people in less than 24 hours? Well, most serial killers actually manage to stay uncaught for more than 24 hours. Yeah, well, we, we don't still know what exactly follows right after the first Halloween. Maybe we are not told at all, but yes, he's 
caught there. I... But it's more realistic than he being in a forest living with rats and dogs for 40 years. I would make the case that average hobo can actually take your word on that one and challenge your opinion, man. Well, he could survive, but then there is no rhyme or reason why he is not attacking Lorian Haddonfield once again before the 40 years have gone. Yeah, God knows there better be a rhyme or reason this time. It was already a struggle to make the logical linking that now because it's John's 17th birthday, then Michael is coming back for the anniversary of the events after 20 years in H2O. Yeah, it was. It was, it was kind of a stretch. It was. Why? Why wait? I don't and, know. Uh, uh, and no. also, he, well, I guess we don't know exactly, yes we do, it's the same year, maybe a day before, type of thing, when Marion Chambers' home is attacked and Michael takes the files. Okay, yeah, we could make it the case that Michael still knew before he went to Marion Chambers' house that Laurie has a, a son, and therefore he is now coming to get some more papers from Marion Chambers and attacking now. But then again, you know, in the upcoming Halloween film, he has faded even longer. Just to get another pissing match with Laurie Strode. I believe it's going to be Laurie who finds Michael and not the other way around. I don't know, I've seen some still images of Michael coming after Laurie. Sure, but then when she shoots the window and Michael does the head tilt in the house, that looks to me like the first time they meet. And she shoots him and she's totally ready for this situation and we have also the moment when she says that the bus crashed what bus crashed and then she goes to look for michael yep because she knows exactly that michael escaped on that bus but she has read the script it was just right behind the breakfast cereal all this goddamn time and then michael once again goes after that one lady he failed to kill all those years ago. Why wouldn't you if if the lady is giving you a hard time 40 years later, now once again, with her revolver? <sighs> My first, actually, case here, why I would not do that is because I wouldn't remember the lady after all these years. Or of if, even you if, would. If, if you're Michael Myers, you will. And if that was the only one that got away that night, then you're gonna get her. That's a very good... Very good logic as well. No, it's not. Like, even, you know, to be able to remember the faces after all those years. and It's Michael Myers. Well, it's more like... Pure evil. T-800 from Terminator with facial recognition software running on him. <laughs> or Laurie makes the advance, and then Michael notices who she is. You don't need facial recognition. You kind of uh, actually need... Just to still remember who the hell she is. Of course, uh, he remembers. He has he has done facial recognition. He has done nothing interesting in the last forty years, and his big break was getting out of the sanitarium that night and having that orgasmic night of free range killing. And of course, you would remember that. Yeah. After you know, do you think that Odysseus Michael has been once again locked inside Smith's Grove? He has in his cell continuously done drawings of Laurie Strode. No, I believe Just so just... that, you know, he can count in the age differences and its effects on Laurie's face. You're making too much effort here. Michael has probably just stared the wall, looking past the wall, waiting for this night, 40 years later, 
and death has come to your little town once again. Most likely, but the point is, you always have to take these logical leaps with Halloween franchise. Well, amen to that. Now, do you want to hear my theory about this movie? Yeah, go ahead. So the theory about where Zombie wanted to take this story. I will agree with the fellow podcast, the Halloween movie retrospective from Venganza Media, and say that Zombie's plan was to make Laurie the killer here. First, there is a quote from Laurie. Quote, and I get angry, and there's something in my body that snaps, and I get this zero to a hundred rage, and I just want to go up to her, and I just want to fuck, I don't know. And then there's another quote about Annie. Die, you fucking bitch. I'm gonna fucking kill you. Which is connected with the face of Michael and the seizures of Laurie. Then she sees a vision where the mother and little Michael talk about whether she's ready to die or commit murder. That would be my interpretation. And... Then there is seeing the vision at the party, and then Annie dies immediately after. Although in the final version, Laurie, or Angel, and her friend Maya arrive at the same time after the murder. And um, the Strode mother says she's ready, and then tries to stab Loomis. And she also smiles in a derangedly amused way at the white horse at the very ending of the movie. So this is, in my opinion, bringing the point down pretty clearly that Laurie Strode was supposed to be the killer or was suggested to become the killer at the end of the movie. And I'm the one reading too much into this film. There's too... Your words, not mine. <laughs> There's way too many examples here. It's either that or... I think that's the best explanation or why would they otherwise do all this dialogue that is hinting to this so much. Die, you fucking bitch, I'm gonna fucking kill you. And I get this zero to a hundred rage. I, I I have a word theory for you. It's because she's traumatized yeah, by the previous PTSD. movies, events. Sure, sure. But then what is I the mean, point <laughs> of the ending? Because that, that ties it all together. It ties it all together in the sense that the madness that Michael felt was genetical, like it was... With Jamie in Halloween 4. Exactly. Before all, all, all that mind rape stuff. But exactly. it, still doesn't, it still does not make it so that Laurie was supposed to be the killer throughout the film. Like Jamie was not supposed to be the killer in Halloween 4, except at the very end, the closing scene of the film. Kind of like it goes here. It's only at the very end of this film when Laurie finally grabs the knife and then the cops gun her down. Yeah, but the idea is here that Laurie could have been the killer all through this movie. You can just connect it in the ending with this, again, Rob cliche zombie type of thing by just showing that, oh, Laurie is the one holding the knife. She was actually the killer. Aha, uh-huh, got you audience once again. We got here some stupid dream sequence, and now Laurie is the killer. The point is that Laurie could have become Michael at some point in the future, simply because the mental illness is genetical. Mm, quote, she is ready. She is ready. Yeah, at the final fucking moments of the film. Just like Jamie was ready at the closing scene of Halloween 4. Yeah, when we speak of the final cut. But let's say that Rob Zombie wanted to do 
this differently, where we actually 100% reveal that Laurie is the killer by the end of the movie, all through the movie. It doesn't take a lot of changes to make that happen. You have to change a little bit things here and there, people appearing in the houses at the certain moments and yada yada yada. But you could do that, but maybe something, some influence in the production crew stopped him from getting there. And that's why he's pissed that he couldn't get his little stupid scene 120 times in other movies type of shit to be in this movie. Uh, to your, you know, to make the point, you could even make this movie about goddamn aliens and a sequel to goddamn Exorcist if you just make enough reshoots. That's a lot of reshoots. Not that much, actually. It's just need more, you know, strobe lights and, you know, flying atop of the tractor's heads at times and remove the police copter audio so that, you know, m- maybe mix the audio with a flying saucer. Okay. You start to already be halfway there. Mm. Oh, this movie. Man. Rob Zombie is also a vegetarian since 1982. I looked this up because I saw the scene with the sheriff and Annie and Laurie and they were talking about vegetarian pizza and meat pizza. And yeah, there was like a comment that could be said to be like a favoring not killing animals. Especially because they are actually at the moment intercutting between Michael slaughtering the dog and talking about mm, meat pizza. Uh, just an observation. Yep, to me it was just this movie, you know, robbing you even that one kind of a happy moment in this movie. <laughs> because that is the one scene where all the people you are being shown are likable in that moment. And when there is this bond and this togetherness mm-hmm. between the characters, and then at the same time you cut into these scenes of cruelty towards an animal. There's even taken some nicety out of the reality while watching this movie when Annie dies and we intercut to real footage of Daniel Harris being still a child and stroking on a nice dog. I feel a bit sick seeing stuff like this because that's the real Daniel Harris that I think of right there. Intercut with the character. Yeah, very... <laughs> uncomfortable. And you are supposed to feel uncomfortable here with this film. I can see that. That's, yeah, that's, Good job, Rob Zombie. Thank you. In itself, it is. If that's what you're aiming, then the audience should feel uncomfortable. Like, failing here would be making an enjoyable movie that you can watch, stuff your mouth with popcorn and walk away like, yeah, it was, it was okay. Pretty nice times. I had fun with it. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with saying it's a, it was okay? The thing wrong with that is that basically what you have, you have the entire fucking film industry for you yourself to give you that, to give you the fun times, to give you the words that matters, to give you the people that care and give you something that was always something worth fighting for. While at the same time, the word you are having around you outside of the movie theater is a goddamn chaotic nightmare. I'm approaching this in the sense that I want to see something that is okay or it's a masterpiece, not something that makes me feel like I want to go home. I've seen 15 minutes and I can go. Enough. Enough. I'm not enjoying myself. Yeah. And you get 
the entire fucking franchise up until this point. Yeah. With more or less stellar successes, admittedly. But basically every film in this franchise aiming for that. This is for the another breed. This one film. It totally is. Yeah. I agree. This with is that. for this is for those who experience masochists. It's a, it's it's to, it's uh, those who have opened their eyes. It's torture porn. Badly got torture porn without any focus. That's what it is. It's not the cotton candy you wished it to be. It's just not, not enjoyable. I like movies that I can enjoy. Why the hell would I go to theater in the first place to enjoy, of course, with my popcorn or without? Yeah, and I can take the different experience. I also go to the theater without my popcorn. I I realize to actually get this to finally have a movie that fucking says that we all lost it. We all in lost the, the franchise. Let's take a nine-year break. We have lost the point of this franchise. What we lost for nine years is Halloween fans shoving money at the box office. Yeah, because it's Halloween. Yeah. And once again, you know, why get so close to a franchise? But in the end, is just a series of films. Why are you talking about me being close to the franchise? The first, because... first two movies are some of the best horror movies that I've ever seen. Yeah. That's all. And you still, and you still have them. Of course I compare these two to the rest of the series. No doubt. Because that's the benchmark. Here we have a different yeah. kind of benchmark. I admit that, but I'm just not enjoying it. And I, on the other hand, I'm I'm more free going with the whole franchise. I can appreciate the originals. I can see see the first one as a masterpiece. I can see the second one as a pretty damn good sequel to a masterpiece. But still, you know what? You, you know what pisses I, me off here? Actually, it's be- yeah. it's because Rob Zombie has been a big. F- fan of this franchise and he has explained why Halloween 1978 works he appreciates the slow building and I believe the absence of visible blood or violence it's a good horror story and works but then knowing all that he comes to make a Halloween reboot and he looks at all of those that material that makes the first one great and turn it completely upside down and trying to find the emotional connection and the enjoyment in that and then there is this these cliches that we have mentioned in these two episodes that he just can't shake off white horse what the fuck it's not original it's i see a guy who doesn't understand how to build a horror scene correctly and i see a person who is unable to make decent dialogue I see a person who is unable to make characters that are likable or otherwise enjoyable. And I see a person who makes some elements of the movie so absolutely clear that there's nothing left to solve in your own brain. And that's kind of part of the cliche as well. And I see, on the other hand, a guy who loves Halloween very much and then takes it and uses it to say something very intimate about himself i never got that but that that's the beautiful thing about art you can disagree and it's okay we're not talking about um, some more absolute terms like would it be fun to bomb the half of the planet to oblivion or not yeah that's true 
you should go for the whole planet at that point, because otherwise you are just a mass murderer. Yeah, I might as well go with the rest of it then. Oh, anyway. Yeah, then then the car is put upside down. I thought we got rid of these car cliches in the 1980s, but the car goes up into flames and explodes. And that's probably the funniest scene. Let's name it as the funniest. Then there's the barn scene. It's the exact same problem as the previous movie. In the first one, they go into the swimming pool and they go into the uninspiring house to have this uninspiring final scene. And here we have a barn scene. Why are they in the barn? What what kind well, of what kind of an end setup is that? And again the cops are pointing the guns at you. It's it's like he just ran out of ideas. Let's call it a barn. The barn is unclimatic. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Like life is, because in life you don't get into that, you know, epic conclusion. I want my epic conclusion. Vistas. In life, you end up into some crappy ass building somewhere middle of nowhere. And you realize that what you are living is life and not a movie. In life. There are no weird Mayan temples with Indiana Jones death traps. And archaeology is not dodging dangers and punching bunch of Nazis. I wish there... In life, archaeology is actually being on some dig site with a brush, brushing dust off, you know, some age-old urn. And then looking at, you know, that urn and being like, oh my god, you know, this is it. This is the high point of my life. This is why I studied for fucking seven to twelve years to be on this point. Now it all makes sense and my life is complete. Was worth it. That's life. Life is an abandoned barn <laughs> in some random field. Hendrik. <laughs> it is! It is! I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. If this podcast is going long enough for us to actually reach reach the end point of our life, which, okay, in my case, with my lovely way with people and being the nice guy I am, maybe as close as next week. But, you know, if, if we both reach that point, I promise you, I try my utmost best to bring my recording equipment to that final place that you have. <laughs> And we, we can we can have an episode from there and we can see if you got your Mayan temple or your high grandiose final set piece or if you just got a goddamn sterile hospital room well, with a it... bed that does not have a real mattress on it and which actually just smells disinfectant. You can count on the fact that I have also other monetary <laughs> ideas if we can count this as a monetary idea other than this podcast so we will see i might as well get the mayan temple i may be onto something here you know if if that happens if that happens i, I can actually i'm ready to look you in the eye and admit that i was wrong with you however it's a different viewpoint for you because you take it as a story of how Brutal and unforgiving real life is, even though we're looking at that 12 ton, 3 meter guy who takes bullets and doesn't die. 
or admittedly perhaps dies in the ending, maybe, after getting a lot of hits first. So Loomis gets stabbed, he gets into the barn as well. And what then? White Horse says, young Michael Myers says, Yeah, we got Loomis trying to pull off the last publicity stunt. He can try, you know, <laughs> to salvage his book career. It gets a little bit too deadly. It is, but then again, you know, he did completely fail that talk show, which kind of turned him in one night from the Dr. Samuel Loomis with the high inside of the minds of the serial killers to the public laughing stock. So, you know, what, what else is there to actually try to pull off at that point anymore? Yeah. Except come into this final scene or this yeah. scene of the crime one last time trying to somehow play part in Michael Myers going down again and then get your second wind as some kind of a hero and maybe, you know, get two or three more books. Yeah, what else could there be to do than to sacrifice your life for the brackets? Well, Loomis makes the case. He says that he's doing that to make up the antics that he has done throughout the film by the action of writing those two books. Or is it three books mm. at this point? Anyways, that he's trying to make amends to all the pain and suffering he has caused. I guess still indirectly, but to wash his hands and his hands of the blood, but... To me, it always rings hollow. To me, it's just Sam Loomis, the author that has run his course, you know, trying to get on the positive public eye once more to get the next book deal. And him dying there is just unintentional on Loomis's part. It's just him merely miscalculating the situation. And since he's not been in contact with Michael for some time he and not with Laurie for that matter who he has been happy to ditch immediately after the events of the first film to hurry up to write the books because hey that's humanity for you because of all of that he does not anymore know or understand exactly how dangerous the situation has become with Laurie's psyche being torn upside down with Michael now refusing to connect with him any longer. And so he gets thrown, you know, through the wall and stabbed on the field. Yeah, with, you know, Michael finally breaking his year-long silence. And to give Loomis the one-word sentence, die. Perhaps it pretty nicely, in my opinion. Yeah, the film finally dies. White horse in the hospital, evil eyes and roll credits. The Myers family finally comes together after all these years. I'm happy for them. Me too, you know. Even, you know, shed a tear on that moment. I'm one of those guys who at sometimes, you know, cry at movies. As unmanly as that is, you know. Me too, but not Still, in, ha can, can not in Halloween too. Not I don't know, you know, shed. you know, after all these years in this movie's canon, the victims of Myers' household kind of a finally find each other once again. And you end up in a white hospital hallway. Lori being dressed up in white hospital gowns. Slaughter fest comes full circle. 
it finally comes into a piece of tranquility and purity. Whippy. Well, it kind of is whippy. You finally get peace at the end of, you know, the Slaughterfest, as you say. I mean, the people, Michael, Lori, their mother, they are finally, you know, at peace. So, like, it's like when you when you live with hate long enough, you know, you can only find peace and tranquility in death because the insides of yourself are in constant turmoil. You oh, know, the, the world is a fucking dumpster fire. Uh, so maybe oh. we ha- all have better luck in the next one. And Lori seems to have one. So, you know, card speed. Don't know about that tranquility after dying. I would say nothing. You are looking for nothing. Yeah, that could be. But, you know... But maybe if, that, that is if, better. If, yeah. If you carry enough anger in yourself, and if you have lost your hope... One times too many. In that case, even the nothingness is more peaceful than what you have at the moment. Speaking of technical aspects, <clears throat> DOP, we have problems here. There is not enough clear establishing shots when we got to a new setting. There is also like claustrophobia in the way that this film is filmed. This was mentioned in another podcast and I kind of realized that, that yes, there, there's something very uncomfortable about like how this film is also shot. You get a lot of, you get a lot of close-ups, but it needs something to get from the establishing shots ever closer all the way to the close-ups. I don't know. I never had any problems following the scenes of this movie. And I even liked that weren't gritty and like you said you know extremely schizophrenic attitude that this film has when it comes to its cinematography yeah it had me biting my teeth at moments simply from the you know the intensity of the experience my claustrophobia is not that kind of claustrophobia but it's just seeing a lot of similar shots one after the other we kind of need a more breathing room here i feel I, uh, I I see where you are coming from. But once again, mm, I did not need that breathing room here. Okay. Was there anything that was too absurd that took you out of the movie or something like that? Mm, not for me, no. What's your favorite quote, if any? I would go with too coolio for schoolio. <laughs> for me, it's from Loomis. Well, when I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. That was also a good one. And second one, I have, yeah. it's from the same scene. I'm selling the sizzle, not the steak. Yeah, and I even liked, you know, Michael Myers's joy on this one. <laughs> good for you. Yeah, I found it, well, not enjoyable. But once again, hammering home this movie's point. Any comments about audio? I was surprised how the audio is one aspect where kind of the levels of anger when it comes to the direction, I think kind of shows up because the audio itself, when it comes to the soundtrack, is extremely soft and it's sweet. The most repeated song on the movie's soundtrack 
the Night in White Satin is the song that has that line never reaching the end, which is basically a love song. And that goes for a lot of the songs on this film. And then you take all those love songs, which are quite tender and sweet, and you intercut them with the visuals, which are extremely harsh and brutal throughout this film. I kind of loved that, that difference you had going on there. And I even go as far as to say that I liked this movie's version of the or the new mix of Halloween theme that we get at the beginning of the end credits, which I would already hazard a guess you hated to the bottom of your heart. But to me, all that those moanings or those screams heard amongst the old Halloween theme gave it kind of a haunting feeling. Oh, yeah. It starts there later. Yeah, you get the love hurts first. Oh, love hurts, yeah. And from there, it, you know, transitions to the Halloween theme that has now been mixed once again. In my opinion, this is a new mix uh, of the original theme music. And then there is the third song after that, which I no longer remember what it was. Yeah, you're right. I honestly don't, I just don't care for this distorted piano sound, which sounds kind of demanded. I, it fits the mood, but I wouldn't really pop it on on Spotify or something like that. I don't like it. Yeah, it's definitely something that you would ever put on on Spotify. But after this experience, after that last closing shots of Laurie lying dead on the field with, you know, those three still shots that show her going down and from there transitioning, you know, her lying on the ground dead. And from there to the last, finally getting getting peace at the end. And from there, you know, going to the love hurts with these photographs of the previous kills. And from there transitioning to this new mix of the Halloween theme, I, to me, it feels like the last punch to the stomach with its kind of a nightmarish touch. Wow, that's a lot of material to be built up from that. And any thoughts on cast? What's your favorite performance? Uh, it's it's hard to say, because in a one way, it's Daniel Harris and Brad Dourif, because in this movie, they are the persons you like the most. Mm-hmm. Even to the end, even to a point where Brad Dourif, Serif Brackett, finally loses it and succumbs into the same shit word that every other character exists on this film. And in a way, I also like every other character in this movie for the fact how much I disliked them. But, you know, if I would have to pick one, maybe I would go with Sheriff Brackett because with him you get you get the likability. And you get the downfall of the character. Yeah, there's a lot of emotions going on around him. Then yeah. I, I would go with Annie. I was picturing Annie. She's the least annoying person in this movie. So I'll just go with that. I do not like in the editing that is part of the Annie's death. When the death of Annie is not shown, but then it's shown in kind of a flashback. 
behavior intercutted when they are approaching the cut, torn up body of Annie. I actually quite liked Annie's death. To me, it's it's the actually it's the best kill in this movie. Do you like the intercuts then as well? Yeah, I like the way how you are not being shown the actual violence. It's the one kill in this movie where you are not being shown the stabs and the punches. You are being shown the beginning of the situation when Annie finally notices Michael behind her and tries to escape. Then it goes to a still frame, jumps on a different location, and you hear the violence on the audio, but you don't see it. And then Lori comes to the house, and you get all these signs of struggle, and you see Michael uh, thrashing around, but you still don't see the blows hitting Annie. And then you transition to the bathroom, where she's once again lying naked, covered in blood, like the previous time, and once again is being kept alive by Michael to serve as a distraction for Lori. To me, it's the most coldest and most undeserved act of violence in this movie, and there is this really heart-pitting impression that as a human being, Annie, like any other human being's purpose here in this world, is to serve the purpose given to her. After serving that purpose, she or he no longer matters to the world. It, it kind of speaks from all the kills in this movie. I think it most speaks about the world in that sense. The intercuts, I do understand in the sense that it is more interesting than looking at Lori and her friend Maya arriving to the murder or stabbing scene. Because we've seen that all before and we already know by the noises that Annie is making that she is in deep trouble. So just waiting for them to, her friends to come to the scene is not interesting unless you cut something there in between. Unless you would make the scene of them coming to the butcher scene more interesting. But because it's not interesting enough, perhaps this is why they felt the need to make these intercuts. I do not like the style. I hope we see no signs of it in the new installment. Because there are better ways to tell a story than, than this one. Maybe better ways to tell the story, but I can believe that the new film can find better and more suitable ways to tell the story. But I would hazard a guess already that the new film is not going to use its imagery and its skills to give you the point that you don't matter. World is rotten and none of us matter. What we do know that is that it will be more brutal than the original. It, it will show a lot of bodies. Most likely, yeah. You can't have, you know, that... You can. That they just you, refuse to. You can't have that low blood, no on-screen violence. People make art movie. films all the time, or that's what we call it now. It's art film when you're doing something that is not mainstream. Of course, to please the kiddies, you have to up the violence and the blood flow. But I'm just saying there are niches where you can do that. Yeah, and, and there is a there's a word 
that you know we here in Lapland use for those films. Niches. No, no, we just call them not box office. Yeah. You you can have your art house films and you can have your indie films and, and you can pull that stuff in those, but not when you are aiming at the box office, not with a major release. There you have to go with what the crowd wants. I know, I know. Yeah, and that's something that Rob Zombie absolutely refuses to do here. So enjoy, enjoy that major release. Run away from the Halloween fan crowd expectations. Yeah, enjoy finally something that is not run-of-the-mill kill scenes with mad butchering, which we've seen many times before. I'm very happy to see something hopefully slightly more original, something to kind of invigorate the horror scene. I would actually make the case what you will get in the next Halloween is more of the same. Here you would get the mainstream release version of trying to avoid giving you the exact same scenes again. And in Halloween 2018, you will get what you have already seen a million times again. You get the acts of horrible violence, just like in here. But unlike in here, in there you get them in a nice world. I just see a director who lost his way and is making the same recipe that he has been doing before, where nothing is very original. And I see extremely angry director. This is not completely new in Rob Zombie's repertoire, but once again, Rob Zombie being one of the most hate-filled directors I have come around in some time, he's typical, is kind of the precisely what you won't get from a major studio release. That's, I would say, what I fear most from the upcoming Halloween movie, that I get, once again, horrific acts of violence in a movie that at the same time tells me that I do matter and there is hope in the world. Because, God damn it, if that's not something that I have already seen a million times, if that's not basically almost every single horror movie that comes around, My fear is that they will make it too mainstream. My fear is that they will have very visible kill scenes and that they are going to try the ultimate crowd-pleaser route where they will try to do a balancing act between the teenagers and the fans that have been there four years before. And then, then trying to make the balance, but as they are making the balance, they are in the end not pleasing enough anyone. Looking at the ratings, it's going to be a crowd pleaser, though. But the ratings are going to go down because it's only been shown in Toronto, I believe, once so far. I fear that the cinematography may not be really up to par. They're using a lot of odd color choices in this movie. They are not using the blue light, they're using yellow light. They're not using enough shadows, what I've seen. They are not necessarily building enough the atmosphere before the kill... I fear for the performance of Michael Myers, as a fan, of course. And uh, I fear that, like you said, this will be some type of repetition of the past. I hope that they will introduce some new tricks to the table that we have not seen before. And I believe they have succeeded to do something because it's going so well in the ratings. We will see. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know how much new tricks you can actually have with Halloween. We will see. Yep. Hopefully they can come up with, you know, something. But 
I'm afraid that Halloween as a concept is too tightly knitted for it to allow to have that much any new inventions. Would there be anything that you would cut from Halloween to 2009? I might shorten the hospital scene a bit. It's my favorite scene of the movie, if anything can be said to be favorite here. There are some moments to the hospital scene, so that's why it's a big problem that it's just building up to a brick wall. It being, in the end, just a dream sequence is kind of my only problem with the hospital scene. It sets the tone very nicely, in my opinion, and shows you right off the bat the uncaring ride you are going to enter. But in the end, and even though I fully understand why it has to be a dream sequence, I too am somewhat slightly disappointed that all it mounts up to is is a dream sequence for Lori's part. Since the scissors are now in my hands, I can do like a fantasy edit of this film. So it would show the entire dream sequence, but not reveal it as a dream sequence. It would not be a dream sequence. So it just ends at the very moment when Laurie is about to be hacked to death. And then we continue with the Loomis-centered mythology, where we show all the things that you see in the movie that he is doing, maybe kind of adding something to it. But let's say that there's only the scenes that we have seen. Then there is some material from from Laurie two years later, 2009. Maybe Michael Myers is now dead and it's just centering on Loomis so that we end his story that he finally stops being an asshole and in the end takes a sip of a vodka and says to himself, I'm a bit of an asshole, right? Or God, I'm a douchebag. And then roll credits. Thank you very much. Yep, that kind of a would make it more of the uh, every other film on this franchise. No, it would be my uh, super creative mythology road where Dr. Sam Loomis and Laurie Strode are still suffering from the after effects of the first movie, first Rob Zombie movie, and we have discarded Michael Myers from the hospital scene onwards. So kind of like what John Carpenter, I guess, would have done with Halloween 4, but less interesting. No growing fingers and ballooning up after being shot by cops. Well, Henrik, would you recommend Halloween 2 2009 Rob Zombie? I would. I would recommend this one. And I would even recommend that while you're watching it, you have yourself a nice cup of bleach. Because in the end, all you are is just stardust floating around on a dying planet on a cold and unforgiving universe. You know it already. I would not recommend Halloween 2. I am surprised beyond belief. <laughs> Call us shocked. And uh, amazed. I would say this movie deserves to be called in a semi-intellectual sounding way as hackneyed hokum. So as in completely badly aged, kind of dilapidated idea with nonsense. This is the point where Halloween franchise is dead, meaning that it has completely discarded what Halloween was, trying to create something new, but not doing a good job at it. Simple as that. I've seen this movie only once before, and I waited nine years before actually watching this, because I was not looking forward to it after the first one. I think I I might have seen something 
shortly after the release, but I sure as hell didn't finish it. But, you know, the things you do for this podcast. Enjoy my verdict. There you go. What is our next film? Halloween 2018. We might as well flush off all of this butchery with some Pocahontas or what was your suggestion? Three so little pigs. you are trying to get rid of the butchery with Pocahontas. <laughs> oh boy, are we in for a doozy in it here? You know? uh, still, uh, let's say um, PG-rated butchering. Intellectual butchering. Extremely hard and wide. It's fine. It's most definitely not. Who could not love Arya Koreseva in Finnish version? Nothing bad to say about Arya Koreseva. I have a lot of bad to say about the film itself. <laughs> Arya should have actually... She deserved herself a better Disney product than Pocahontas. Has its moments. But to tell you the truth, I haven't seen it in likely over 20 years. And there's a good reason for that one. But it's no matter because... Our audience, uh, dear listeners, do not have to dread the day that Corey would actually introduce Pocahontas here on this podcast, because there is even more Halloween still to go through. There is. <clears throat> yeah. For, for the enjoyment of most of the crowd. Don't, the, don't, don't uh, fret. We'll be uh, done with this very soon. Oh, we most definitely are not. I'm looking forward for our... Halloween 2018 podcast, uh, which might get to the eight-hour mark. I hope not. Looking at the discussion that we have had here about it. Well, you know, if we fail, if we fail the Halloween 2018, there is always a porn parody. So next time, our dear listeners, it's either Halloween 2018 or or the porn version. <laughs> that would be a blast. In to more ways than to- one. Sure, um, since the quality has gone so low, so why not kind of entertain the subcategory of Halloween movies and go full frontal? I still haven't seen it, so I don't know what's in the film. (laughs) Yeah, I have been Curry, and you have been Henrik, as it happens. And next time, we hope to give you Halloween 2018 after, soon after the premiere. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and everything that you can imagine, we are on the internet. Hope to see you very soon for the last episode of Mask in Action and then get some kind of a more varied collection of movies to our incredible podcast, such as Pocahontas. You really are pushing it. Arya is love. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Minä en jaksa käydä koko helvetin poon Ferran Joysia.